Today on Abounding Grace. I'll tell you what, if you're a man, you're a woman that teaches God's word, you will have people unhappy with you. If you're a man or a woman that teaches the grace of God, you will have a lot of people unhappy with you. And they might even take the step of slandering you and bringing false accusations against you. But my encouragement to you is to keep your eyes on Jesus Christ and stay faithful to his word and let everyone do what they're going to do. Get all caught up in arguing and fighting and trying to defend yourself. You know, I've always learned that when you try to defend yourself, you're a poor defender. But if you just step back and let God defend you, he's a great defender. He'll take good care of you. This is amazing grace. This is After we fail, questions tend to surface in our minds, like, could God ever use me after this? Will God forgive me? Or how can I possibly move on from this? Failure is a part of life and something we all go through. So how we respond to it is vitally important. Today on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor takes us to Romans 3. We'll be encouraged and refreshed by God's plan, power, and purpose even after we fail. Psalm 51, David writes it after he's busted for his sin. You remember, we went through it not too long ago. David made a series of very seriously bad decisions, serious sins, horrible things, and he kept living his life as if he got away with it. He wasn't exposed, and so he continued to live like, hey, I'm a righteous king, I'm a good man, everything's taken care of, everything's covered. But then God speaks to a man by the name of Nathan, and Nathan comes to him and begins to tell him that story. Remember the story? It's about the little lamb, it gets stolen, upset, and you can almost hear, if it was a movie, you can hear the music, the little lamb, and David, it starts to a crescendo, and David says, I want that man, that man, yeah, that, tell me who he is is. He's done. I'm taking care of him. And then you can see there was a big, big pregnant pause there. And Nathan looked at him and said, what? You are that man. Let's pause there just for a second. I hope you have somebody in your life that you allow to come to you, tell you a sweet little story, get you all riled up, and then say, you are that man. You are that woman. You need to have people in your life that can get that close. They can look you in the eye and tell you the truth because even though you don't want to hear the truth, even though you don't want to live in the truth, even though you want to go and do your own thing, that you need to hear the truth because the truth will set you free. You need to hear the truth. I know a lot of times when the truth is shared because that's one of the main things that I do in counseling or ministering to people I know in the, going through things and situations when I have to share the truth, I, I already know most of the time they're going to get really mad at me, but I don't care. Because you need to hear the truth from me. I mean, it would be like a horrible thing if you would go around and, how's your pastor? Well, he doesn't tell me the truth. And I was like, what kind of knucklehead is that? You need somebody who's going to tell you the truth. Now, I'll do my best to soften it. I'll do my best to deliver. I'll tell you a little sweet story about lambs, you know, whatever it might be. But you want to be surrounded by people that are going to tell you the truth. It's like, wow, well, you know, and you want to have people that will tell you the truth. And so finally, after Nathan 
tells David, David repents. And he writes this psalm, Psalm 51. And he writes this psalm and, and he says, I've sinned a lot against a lot of people. My sins cause a lot of grief and pain to many. But the bottom line of his psalm is that he realized and recognized that his sin was against God. And that God, if you want to judge me for my sin, if you judge me, if the heavy hand of judgment comes upon my life, I deserve it. And I trust that you're a faithful and a righteous judge. And that's where Paul is back in Romans. What about their unbelief? Well, if God judged their unbelief, that would be perfectly righteous for him to do that. And it's perfectly righteous for him to judge our unbelief because God is justified in judging us, that he's righteous and holy. Even though I've been unfaithful, his promises are going to continue on. Verse 5, Romans chapter 3. If our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? So he's anticipating another question, and the mind's starting to think here and saying, now wait a minute, if God uses failure, and God's faithful even when I'm unfaithful, and God's going to keep his promises even if I break my promises, then hmm, that sounds like an interesting road I should take, because that sounds like I can just do whatever I want, because God is going to get the glory anyway. And that's what he says. If our unrighteousness, I mean, if us making mistakes and failing and sinning demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? If, is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. Certainly not. But then how will then God judge the world? For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still being judged as a sinner? The next ob objection comes is that doesn't sound like God is fair doesn't sound like God's fair at all. If God is just using Israel to make himself look good, then I don't like that at all. And that doesn't sound fair. God, you've raised the bar so high that it's set up for them to not believe or trust you that you can come out the winner. How could it be right for you, God, to do that? But that misses a misunderstanding of the character of God and the character of man. You know the character of God? God is good and righteous and true and holy and full of compassion and full in love, and he's righteous and altogether wonderful. The character of man, tainted by sin, <laughs> touched by sin. Sin is at the very core of every human being and worthy of the judgment of God. That's why Jesus Christ had to die. Judgment had to come. It would either come on man or God had made a way through sending his only begotten son that would take upon himself the sins of the world. So that leaves everyone in this room and everyone hearing my voice in one of two camps. The camp of the believer who is trusting in Jesus Christ to take away the penalty of their sin or the camp of the unbeliever. And that would be those of you here that are hearing my voice here today in this room that would say, I'm going to do things my own way. I'm going to worship God my own way. And I'm going to atone for my sins. I'm going to take care of my sins my own way. There might even be some of you that say, I don't have sin at all. It's not that big a deal. I don't even know why you're talking about sin. It's just like a little character flaw. It's not sin. I mean, I just have a little bit of problem with it. It's, it's my upbringing. That's what it is. That's why I'm such this and I do that because of the way I was raised. Or this is the, and we start, we've at a very young age learned how to make excuses for our behavior. But no excuses. We've learned before that man will be without excuse before God. So the conclusion then now is verse 8. And so why don't we just say, let us do evil that good may come. Do you know that's the banner of our world today? Let's just do evil that good may come. But you don't hear it that way. You know how you hear it in the world today? The end justifies the means. 
So I'm just going to go ahead and live my life however I want, as long as I get what I want, as long as I don't hurt anybody, as long as nobody tells me I'm wrong, as long, and you begin to have that ingrained in your life. If I am going for a righteous end, then however I get there doesn't matter. And that can spill into the church. Let's just go ahead and do more and more evil. Let's go out and not believe anything that God says so that God can show good on my behalf. I mean, if it doesn't matter really how, the, how God gets the glory, then it really doesn't matter how I live my life as a Christian. But let me tell you, it does matter how you live your life as a Christian. As a Christian, things have changed. You now serve the Lord God Almighty and not yourself. There are certain behavior patterns, there are certain actions in your life that bring pain and sorrow to people in your life. They bring consequences to you personally. It does matter what means we use to the end that we're after. And Paul's teaching us that contrary to our world, that the end does not justify the means, any way, shape, or form. It's never right to do wrong to do right. (laughs) I like that? You're going to remember that one. It's never right to do wrong to do right. Sin is always sin, no matter how we cover it, no matter how we make excuses for it. There are those that were accusing Paul during this time of preaching a gospel against the law of God. They were accusing Paul of saying, you're not even caring about the law of God anymore. You're preaching this message of grace. And out of this message of grace, then you're telling people they can do whatever they want. And in reality, the message of grace, there is some truth to that, to do whatever you want. But might I remind you, as a Christian now, you have different wants. To say you can do whatever you want selfishly is to say that you are disconnected from the holiness of God. But to say, I want to do whatever I want because God, as I delight myself in the Lord, he gives me the desires of my heart. Well, that's something different because the desires of Jesus aren't toward sin. They're toward righteousness and holiness. Grace is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And I'll tell you, if you ever leave this place, if you ever listen to a Bible study on CD or MP3 or you tune into the radio and you ever leave thinking that you have, got been, you have been given the okay to sin, then you've totally misunderstood the doctrine of grace. Totally. And I realize sometimes in this place you've come in and you're actually thinking about whether I should sin or not. You're wrestling with it. You're planning to sin, but you're not sure you really want to sin. You're not sure you're going to get away with it. You're not sure about the consequences. You really want to do right, but this is this difficulty's coming your way. And the short way out is just to sin. It's not a big sin. It's a little sin. I'm even justified to sin, but you're still deciding. And let me say, I hope you decide not to sin. I hope you decide not to sign the papers. I hope you decide not to steal. I hope you decide not to lie. I hope you decide to stick in there and to endure. I hope you decide to lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares you and to run your race with joy. I don't want you leaving here under misunderstanding the doctrine of grace. It actually teaches the opposite of sin. Flip over to Titus chapter 2. I'll show you what I mean. Titus chapter 2. And I'm glad you're here today. I'm glad you're hearing God's word today. I'm glad that you're open to the Holy Spirit. I'm blessed that you are open that although things are tough right now, God can make a way of escape. Do you realize that? And it may not be for you right now. It might be for you up ahead. God always makes a way of escape with every temptation. Every temptation that we face, there's a way of escape. But it's not the shortcut. Sometimes it's the difficulty. Titus chapter 3. Look with me at verse 4, would you please? Titus chapter 3, verse 4. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared... Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Christ Jesus Christ, our Savior, 
that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. In the verse 8, this is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to do what? Maintain good works. It's not good works and bad works. It's not, I'll do a few bad works to get to the good. He says, be careful. Maintain these good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Look at chapter 2 now, verse 11. If you understand the grace of God to the point where you think you can do anything, including sin against God, without any hesitation, then you've misunderstood God's wonderful grace. Look at verse 11, chapter 2. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us. So we want to know what grace teaches, right? Listen. Denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for what? Good works. Speak these things, Titus, and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Wisdom from the Lord will lead you toward obedience. Wisdom from God will lead you toward endurance and perseverance. The wants of our lives now are different. They're the desires and the wants of Jesus Christ who dwells in us by his Holy Spirit. But if we drift away and our eyes are taken off the simplicity of a relationship with Jesus Christ, sin will ensnare us. Even the smallest of sins. Before long, we'll start saying things like, I know this isn't right, but I'm sure God will forgive me. And then it turns into, I know this isn't right, but it is really for a good cause. And then it'll turn into, I know this isn't right, but I don't really care what you think. <laughs> and then, then it ends with this. I know this isn't right, but I don't care what God thinks. And that, my friend, is a very dangerous position to be in. To the place where I'm just going to do whatever. I don't even care what God thinks. You can't tell me what to do. You don't know what situation I'm in. You don't know what I'm facing. And so I don't really care what you think. I don't care what God thinks. And can you see the rebellion and the hard-heartedness in that? And when we find ourselves there, we're, we're, in a, we're in a mess of trouble. You know, a little bit of sin begins to desensitize you and me. One piece at a time. A little bit of sin makes us less sensitive to sin in our lives, and we become numb to its devastation. Because it happens a little bit at a time. The heat gets turned up like that proverbial frog in the kettle just a little bit, a little bit. You don't really notice it. You don't really notice it because that self-deception gets built up and we're no longer sensitive to the things of the Lord. We're no longer sensitive to sin in our life. And slowly but surely, sin begins to destroy your life. The sad thing is, is that you can look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm doing just fine, but sin is destroying you from the inside out. It'll eventually show up, even though it might not show up at the outset, looking on the outward man. And a little thing over a long period of time can cause great destruction. A little thing. When we were in California, one of the little things that used to eat up our house were termites. I mean, these, these guys were unbelievable. The damage that they could do to a house and how quickly they could do it a little bit over a long period of time. I mean, all of that. I remember there were times when the wood would so rot that the part of the roof would come in. It would just rot out because a little bit over a long period of time can do great damage. That's why we want to avoid sin completely. You know, throughout the Bible, one of the strongest pictures of sin that we see is this disease, the sickness of leprosy. Often it's used as a picture, as a type of what sin will do to a person spiritually as leprosy does to a person physically. 
Leprosy was a horrible, horrible, horrible disease. And throughout the Old Testament, leprosy was considered to be a curse. And it represents the way sin works. In the Bible, it's used to represent sin because there's no human cure for leprosy. Receiving leprosy in that day was a death sentence. It was over. It was a death sentence that would happen slowly over time. It didn't happen immediately, but slowly. Leprosy would cause great pain in a person's life. It would separate a person from others. They were banned from cities. They were shuffled on to, to leper colonies to live by themselves, while the disease slowly but surely took their life from them, inch by inch, literally, to the point where leprosy would cause parts of your body just to fall off, inch by inch. Leprosy is especially insidious because it numbs a person to their own death, and they don't feel it. It works silently, behind the scenes. That's exactly how sin works, silently, behind the scenes. You know, leprosy will numb your hands and your feet, and you'll go through life at a point where you don't even notice pain anymore. You're not even feeling it anymore. You could cut yourself. A leper could often die by bleeding to death because they didn't know that they had cut themselves and they had bled so much. They could walk over rocks and they could take the bottom of their feet to, to be completely taken, bottom of their feet completely taken over and cut up and into shreds and never feel it ever at all because they were numb to the pain. And they would often die in many different ways because they didn't feel the pain. You know, sometimes I, I feel this way. There are times I wake up in the morning and just think, oh, Lord, it would be so good to live a pain-free life. Amen, right? Oh, oh, my back and my knees and my head, pain-free life. But guys, pain is your friend. Pain is our friend. It's the body's alarm system that things are not all well and they need attention. When you lose touch with the way things ought to be, then your sensitivity is numb. Isn't that the way the sin works? Sin numbs you slowly and surely. You start out, that was wrong. I shouldn't have said that. That's how it all be. You know, I should, why did I, I mean, why did I do that? Why was I in that, why was I in that place last night? I didn't want to be, I, I don't know how they talked me into it. And then I just fell in, I, I just totally walked into sin. I said things and I did things and you get really upset. You're like, oh God, I don't want to do that again. But then you do it again. And now you're not so sensitive to it anymore. And you do it again. Yeah, it's no big deal. And then it starts to affect other parts of your life. You start getting written up at work. And you're like, uh, what are you writing me up for? And say, well, you know, you have been doing this. We've let it, we've let it go for like five weeks now. But I, we need to stop, sit down. Well, we need five weeks. I've been, and you start, people start explaining to you what you've done because you're so numb to it. Because you haven't seen it. Because you're not paying attention to it. And pretty soon you begin to lose sense that it's wrong at all. You go beyond thinking. You're no longer thinking anymore, and now you're doing, and now you're in a lifestyle that's clearly immoral, but after a while, you get so used to it, you don't even think about it anymore. You don't even care. You know what you're doing when you live that way? You're dying one piece at a time. Spiritually, you're shriveling up. Lepers, they begin to lose their limbs. Lepers begin to lose their friends. Lepers begin to lose their lives, and sin is the same way. You start to lose parts of your life. That's what sin will do. It'll destroy parts of your life. It'll separate you from the people that really care about you. It'll push you away from the people that could, like Nathan, say, listen, sister, that's not the way you should go. Listen, brother, why are you saying that? Why are you treating her that way? Why are you doing... And you separate from the very people that love you. Now you don't even want to talk to anybody because you don't want to be in church anymore because you know somebody's going to come up to you and say, hey, how are you doing? And you're like, I don't want to tell you how I'm doing because I'm not doing really well right now. And I really don't have any desire to change the way I'm doing right now. So I'm going to stay away from anybody that might ask me that question. And I'm going to find the people that can hang out and do the things that I want to do slowly but surely. 
you're dying away. And you finally get to the place where you just don't care anymore what's right and wrong. It just doesn't matter anymore. I don't care about God. I don't care about his word. I don't care about that pastor. I don't care about my wife. I don't care about my kids. I just don't care. The enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's exactly the question that's being asked in verse 8. Let us do evil that good may come. Well, no, don't you understand what that's going to do to you? It's going to destroy you. Listen to this. Just let it sink down from the New Living Translation. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 22. Listen. An evil man is held captive by his own sins. They are ropes that catch and hold him. He will die for lack of self-control. He will be lost because of his incredible folly. Did you hear that? Let me read it to you again. You ready? An evil man is held captive by his own sins. They are the ropes that catch and hold him. He will die for a lack of self-control. He will be lost because of his incredible folly. Listen to this in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 6. By transgression, an evil man is snared, but the righteous sings and rejoices. It starts out, I've got this liberty. I've got this grace. I can do what I want, where I want. But it ends with absolute destruction because it's not the desires of Jesus Christ that are happening in your life. It's your own desires. And if you don't remember from the days that you weren't a believer, your own desires got you in a mess of trouble, in a mess of destruction. And it's by the mercies of God that we're all here today. Amen? It's mercy and grace. But don't take it for granted to the point where you think now liberty that you have and freedom that you have in Jesus Christ is now a cloak for licentiousness or for sinful living or for bad attitudes or for excuses. But rather, hey, we're not going to do evil that good may come. Notice in verse 8, Paul was slanderously reported as teaching that. That some affirm that we say their condemnation is just. I'll tell you what, if you're a man, you're a woman that teaches God's word, you will have people unhappy with you. If you're a man or a woman that teaches the grace of God, you will have a lot of people unhappy with you. And they might even take the step of slandering you and bringing false accusations against you. But my encouragement to you is to keep your eyes on Jesus Christ and stay faithful to his word and let everyone do what they're going to do. Don't get all caught up in arguing and fighting and trying to defend yourself. You know, I've always learned that when you try to defend yourself, you're a poor defender. But if you just step back and let God defend you, he's a great defender. He'll take good care of you. He knows all that's going on in your life. And so be careful. Be careful with the very grace that God has given you. Be careful that you don't leave here thinking, well, you know, the end justifies the means. I'm going to take advantage at work because I'll never find out about it anyway. And after all, when I see all these things come to play, the good will come out of it, won't it? But you can never, it's never good to do wrong to do good. Never. You want to take that strong stand for righteousness and holiness. No matter if everyone comes against you, no matter if it's difficulty at every turn, You don't want to find yourself slowly but surely shriveling up on the inside, losing limbs, losing family, losing friends, losing life spiritually. Because the days are short. Jesus Christ is coming again. And he's looking to pour himself into a church that's ready and willing to live for him. So the grace of Jesus Christ is not an excuse. It's a tremendous gift that changes our lives to live for Jesus. So can God use our failure? Yes. Does that give us permission then to go out and just fail, 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 fail? Because God's going to use it? No. But I'll, find, I'll tell you what. If you find yourself on the other end of a failure today, if you will turn your eyes to Jesus Christ, God, he'll work all things together for the good. For those of you that love God, and I know you do. That's why you're here. 
That's why you invest your time in the study of God's word and in the worship and serving the Lord. Because you love God. And so those of you that love God realize he's going to work all things together. I know that all things right now are pretty heavy and hard and painful. But I'll tell you what, you're going to be able to get through on the other side and look back and say, Amen, Romans 8, 28. What a good reminder today that God can use even our failures. With that said, it doesn't give us permission to go out there and fail purposefully. Thanks for listening to Abounding Grace and part of our study in Romans. You can find our studies online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. And they're accessible through our app, too. Do a search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play. Here in the month of December, we've picked out a timely resource we think you'll enjoy and get a lot out of. It would even make for a great Christmas gift. It's called The Case for Christmas. So who was in the manger that first Christmas morning? Not everyone agrees on the answer to that. If he was the divine Son of God... How do you know for sure? Well, Lee Strobel investigates in The Case for Christmas, and we'll send it to you when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more today. Please make your request by phone at 877-30-GRACE. Next time on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor points out how it is that we get to heaven. While we fall short, Jesus can help us get up. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.